It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. This week, starring special guest star, Mr. Michael Lloyd. I know, people always go, hello, welcome to the big show. I'm right in the midst of white man overbite. It's... Every time people are first-timers on the show yeah. uh, and they see the applause, uh, oh, you know, we forgot to check that setting that lets the audio go through, so make sure everybody's getting audio I'll, I'll today. <laughs> Everybody hear us? Yes, I think they do. I see, All right. a, I see a little thing engage. Yeah, that, that works, but then sometimes we have problems with the output, but it looks oh. uh, they'd be telling us in the chat room. So I want to say a quick hello to Lamar Franklin, Mark Kimley, Dan Weber, Greg Vaughn, Bob Gunnerfeld, uh, Lamont J, Catherine, Dean Turner, Linda Cullum. That's a lot uh, of people. Adriano Lucette, uh, Drew Richardson. Anyway, Fentamalonis. Yeah, now when you say hi, Michael, it applies to both of us. And you guys well, should know. John Lennon, Elvis Presley. You know? Incredible. What a connection. This show is so powerful, oh, it brings God. them back from the dead. It's unbelievable. So, Michael and I have been friends now. Do you know that we actually met through our yeah, mutual yeah. friend in 1996. Um, really? Yep. 23 years? Wow, I didn't think it was that long. It Ayuma. feels much longer. <laughs> David Kessel in yeah, it says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, he just called the other day and I haven't returned his phone call. So Kessel, if you're watching, oh, I, I gotta remember. Hi, to hi taxi over. people. Yeah, <laughs> I normally have the camera up there so I'm still getting used oh, to okay. looking yeah, over there. Anyway, Michael and I have been friends for more than 20 years. Um, he comes to the road rally every year. Um, it's become a, a habit in a good way that he starts out the rally because he's very inspiring and uh, perspiring, he, very yeah. perspiring. It's More always, importantly, yeah. we always have him close out the road rally because he is a great observer of the human condition as it relates to musicians. And uh, so he kind of gives a little, he's on the last panel with Shirelli and, and some other people every year. And then Michael gives a little, not an invocation, but uh, well, uh, what do you call that? Thing? I don't know. I don't know. You know, whenever you're leaving something, sometimes you want to take away something right at the end. Right. And everybody's got a dream, and the dream doesn't die just because they walk out of the room. So I want them to take away something that pro propels them, that keeps the dream alive, that keeps the dream going, because we're all dreaming. We're all in the same thing. We all need help. We all need ideas. We all need people to believe in us. And if I can even do that just a little tiny bit. You do it a it's, lot. It's a, it's a great blessing to me. So You know, there are a lot of people that have accomplished stuff kind of in your ballpark of, you know, they've had a successful career, mm -hmm. a real live professional successful oh, yeah. career. Oh, yeah. and, you and, mean there are others? <laughs> yeah, you're not the only one. Okay, but, okay. But, okay. And the second, I'm going to read your bio just oh, for people who watch great. the show afterwards. But um, they don't they're not givers they don't give back like you do and i've always been impressed by that for, for yeah. those of you who don't know and yes i may be fawning a little bit but when i was just starting out in the industry um i used to get a magazine called recording engineer producer oh, magazine and pro magazine. sound news and great. i would read these things literally every word cover yeah. to cover and i remember seeing an interview with michael one time and i remember just staring at it and rereading it and think god what i wouldn't give to have an hour with this dude and now we're close friends and it, you know i think I, got, I, I can write down a number that you can give <laughs> and he's kind of like my friend ralph murphy in that 
his stories go back so long, but the stories, but even though they go back in time so long, the relevance is still there. You're able to draw on this very deep well it's, of experience. But it's always the same. It's the same, not just the music business guys. It's the same with making a couch. I'm looking at a couch or this table that Michael has. The, the thing that's important is you hope and you dream and, and you're trying and you're working. And if someone can help you, or someone can give you an idea or a little inspiration, I know it's benefited me tremendously over the years to have people believe in me. Believe me, that's an important factor. So, um, you know, this is an intangible business. And you only got your songs and your singing and your producing. and You're out there selling it. You got to make people like it. So I'm grateful to offer any ideas or thoughts I can. And I know Michael and Taxi does an incredible job at that. Um, very few places you can go like this. That's why I'm here. Yes, we're friends, but we've been friends for a reason. Right. And, and, and the reason that connected us initially is the music, the idea of helping people, getting uh, 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 ideas out there. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just grateful that we did become friends long ago because it gives me an opportunity to be talking to you right now, truthfully. You know, the reason that I think I, I really enjoy you doing the the end of the road rally is that I don't want anybody walking out of there thinking that we did the road rally just like um, yeah. First of all, we don't charge for it. It's free. Our convention is absolutely free. Every taxi member gets a ticket for him or herself and for a guest. But I never want anybody to feel like they've come to some commercial enterprise. Mm. We're, we don't make any money on the road rally. Last year, I lost money on the road rally. There have been other years where the sponsorship dollars didn't equate what we uh, yep. equal what we spent on the road rally. But having you close it out every year with your inspirational message, does it sends them home going, wow, these guys care because we do, and you're a, a uh, and great right. you're example right. of that. that. That's that. I think it's critical. I think it's critical. They've come and spent a day, two, three. Yeah. Some of them people fly from far all over away. the world. Yeah. yeah, far away. Um, hey guys, we want to make this something that you can remember that can help you, and I think everybody that's involved in the road rally is trying to do that. So um, we're all grateful. Uh, Linda Cullum says, "I love his closing lines, clothes lines." <laughs> hey, I put my clothes on the clotheslines, okay, so. I'm just happy when you put your clothes on, period. Those <laughs> are you and me both. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm going to give you guys the bio, Michael's bio, because, uh, and this is a, a edited down version, but uh, Michael Lloyd, mm -hmm. Exhibit A, was vice president of A&R for MGM Records by the age of 20 years old. Most of us can't even get our shoes on the right feet at the age of 20. Um, and for more than 45 years has been producing hit records and soundtracks, earning more than 105 gold and platinum awards and selling over 150 million records. Just some of the artists he's worked with include Barry Manilow, who you're working with right now. Right now. Uh, we'll talk about that today. Yep. Um, Mike Love and the Beach Boys, Lou Rawls, Sylvie Vartan, Sean Cassidy, Steve Holy, uh, Belinda Carlisle, The Monkees, one of the greatest groups of all time, by yep. the way. Bellamy Brothers, The Osmonds, Striper, which I never have understood why they're on this list. It's just not something that I can imagine you doing, but you did it. Oh, yeah. Sammy Davis Jr., I can totally believe you would work with him or he would work with you. Bill Medley, The Righteous Brothers, Debbie Boone, 
Kimberly Locke, Leif Garrett, Air Supply, Frank Sinatra, and that's just to name a few. Sugar Ray. Sugar, Sugar Ray. Ray's record comes out soon. Wow. Oh, that's right. You just worked on that like six yep. months ago or yep. something. Comes Remember out that. Soon. Comes out soon. Uh, he was also the music supervisor for the film Dirty Dancing, and he wrote the Latin music for Patrick and Jennifer to dance to. I mean... Here's the white man overbite again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he also produced the soundtrack for the album, which, I mean, at the time, uh, not even at the time, it was groundbreaking. It was a soundtrack that made everybody else in the industry go, yeah, if you have good enough music. Nobody sound. wanted anything to do with it. No singers, and no how many, songwriters. How anything. many did it sell? Ultimately? 55 million. 55 million. Nobody wanted anything to do with it. Wow. It was painful. <laughs> oh, well, you yeah. got the last laugh well, on that. Well, it was, you know, one of those things. Um, uh, okay, uh, there are currently several Dirty Dancing, the musical companies out there touring all over the world. Yep. Michael's also done the scoring, music supervision, songwriting, song placement, and or music producing for nearly 200 motion pictures, uh, TV movies, TV specials, and television, television series. His chart record spans six decades. Uh, That's a scary one. Yeah, but you started when you were nine. Uh, from, still scary. Uh, from the 60s to the present, he's also the recipient of Taxi's Lifetime Achievement Yay. Award. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so incredibly funny. Okay. It's a great sounding audience, isn't it? <laughs> incredible. I mean, who wouldn't love that audience? No, no, I'm going to take that. I want one of those to take home. Do you know, uh, these guys have heard it, but I, I spent an entire Saturday finding this. And that thing literally went to it's like great. a dozen stores. Yeah, no, it's great. To the point where um, Toys R Us asked me to leave. Exactly. It makes it all worthwhile. And now they're out of business. Yeah, well. Anyway, um, so just a few of the things that I'll be asking, Michael, that were in the uh, email I sent out. So I'm going to start Very with... interesting questions. Very... I'm looking at the, <laughs> I'm looking at the computer. Very interesting questions. Um, so I'm going to start out with some of these, and then we're going to migrate over to the questions that you guys, I can't get used to not looking at the computer there. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's I, I sent these, or yeah, you guys sent these in. Bria kept them and gave them to us, so I will ask Michael those in a moment, so don't okay. get impatient. So first thing I want to ask you, <laughs> if you had to pick one thing that makes a hit record, what would that be? Song. Yay. Without question. And by the way, that may not be something that a lot of people in the record business say now, because it's about the record sometimes, a lot of times right now. The songs can be a bit more derivative. They're, they're certainly you know, similar one from another. Um, even the topics of the songs can be similar one from another. So I think that they, they really concentrate on the record, the sounds of the record, how interesting is it, what components are really going to attract people to the record. There, Dick Clark used to have on American Bandstand years ago uh, a Raider record, mm -hmm. uh, a little scene in the, in the television show. And, you know, he'd play something, and then a, a guy and a girl would be up there, and they'd rate it. Mm -hmm. And it got to be a cliche. It was something that everybody said, I'll give it an 80 because I can dance to it. Right. Right? Um, Prescient. That that hasn't that hasn't changed much. <laughs> no. So um, there are those, and there's no disrespect intended to any of that. It's just that when you see Ed Sheeran, uh, when you see Adele, uh, uh, Charlie Puth, in some ways uh, too. I mean, he may be a little more contemporary in terms of pop radio, but there are a number of people writing songs, actual songs with melodies and lyrics and stuff like that, and I think the public is not just hungry for it, I think they are absolutely starved for it because when something comes along that is like that and gets a chance, 
it's become successful. So, so the song to me is is always important. That's the key to the key to the universe at the beginning. Um, I've probably told you a story, but I'm going to repeat it because it, it underscores what you're saying. My I think it was my very first day working in the industry. I was vacuuming the carpet in the lobby of Studio C at Criteria Studios in Miami. Wow. Um, on the other side of the wall was Rod Stewart doing "Do You Think I'm Sexy?" And mm. in the oh, he was in the studio recording it. Yeah. Oh wow. And, and um, <clears throat> Dwayne Hitchings was, had just come up with da 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 on the wow. keyboard. Yeah. But Tommy Dowd and Arif Martin were were producing the record, right. and I didn't know these guys. But you know, I was 19 years old, and I see these two older gentlemen in their mid 50s, mm. and they're playing pinball in the lobby where I'm vacuuming, and mm. they seemed a little annoyed that I was vacuuming, but they yeah. looked like they were big time. So I I'd turned be off the yeah. what? I'd be annoyed. Yeah, but it's okay, <laughs> and they were having a great game by yeah. the way, like <laughs> killing it, you know. And I'm vacuuming because that's what my boss told me sure, to do. Yeah. And I turned off the vacuum, and I said, I "Excuse me." very shyly and uh, they looked at me like idiot you just interrupted the best game of our lives yeah what I said you guys look like you know what you're doing can you tell me what it takes to make a hit record and I think it was Tommy Dowd said on the other side of that wall we have one of the greatest artists of all time we've got the best equipment money can rent we've got the best studio players we've got the best of everything but I don't know if we're making a hit record and then he pointed out a window there's a warehouse complex about a half mile away that you could see out of this big picture window and he said somewhere in that warehouse is a kid with a TAC 4 track and he is making a hit record you know why and I said uh -uh. he said because he's got a hit song mm. so it, exactly here we are I mean 40 years yeah. later hearing the same thing a couple of days ago I spent a long time on the phone with Clive yeah and I hadn't Clive talked Davis to him I had... he tends to drop names sorry. without the last name sorry. because yeah Clive <laughs> Davis sorry <laughs> um, and and I hadn't talked to him for a while and I met him when I was like 16 17 yeah. and we were talking about that very thing about songs and uh, he's doing something with Jennifer Holliday I think right now and um, he did something with Johnny Mathis fairly recently but uh, Clive's of course legacy and history uh, everyone knows but the, the definitive but the songs, song man yeah the songs and, uh, and Barry and I have talked about this and Clive and I have talked about this uh, I said you know you're not a musician you're not a singer you're not a songwriter but he I said you can sit there and be the ultimate audience. Mm -hmm. You somehow have this ability to feel the song. And even if the song on demos, it doesn't mean that, I mean, if you heard Mandy, for instance, the first Barry Manilow hit, if you heard the demo of Mandy, first of all, it was called Brandy, mm -hmm. and it was up-tempo. Wow. So, I mean, you know, but he thought the song was a hit. Now, I don't know, I guess there, I mean, obviously there have been people like that, but they're not a lot. And he is probably, I think, the most significant of them all because he's picked it over decades, right? Even the other great and, song guys from yeah. our industry uh, not like him. would say that Clive is, is he's the, the guy. Yeah. So, um, you know, to him, it's a song, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, Whitney's a great artist. Barry's a great artist. Um, and Barry wrote a lot of his songs mm -hmm. too I mean you know let's not forget that so he's written you know Copa and even now and, and and could it be magic I mean you know big giant songs so th that was a that was a slightly different dynamic Whitney didn't write mm -hmm. uh, but you know Clive is just great at this and so it's song song based song based 
And there might be some that would disagree, but I believe if you're going to be successful, if you're going to be not, if you're going to be have a more permanent career and a more permanent hit, the song is everything. Clive is also famous for pairing a song with the right artist. Where other artists would be begging him for it, and yep. he would say, "Nope, this one's going to Whitney." Absolutely. And he pissed people off by doing that, but he was always right in his decisions. I've never read anything yep. where somebody said, "You know." Look, he took that song away from me and gave it to Whitney and had a flop with it. Right. He, yeah. you're right. No, no, no. He, he just, uh, that's a special guy, and there is not anybody like him. People are successful, and they have different strengths, you know. Yeah. But his strength was picking songs and realizing it. He also um, had a deep under, has a deep understanding. Shouldn't talk like, you know, he's not with us, no, no. not among us no, anymore. No, 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 um, he does. A very does. deep understanding of the whole process, too, of all the departments within a label. Yeah, and absolutely. that's what made Aris to so yeah, successful. Absolutely. Everything he touches is successful because he understands you got to get the people within the label excited so that they go out, get the public excited. Absolutely, absolutely. Radio I'm going through that have, right now with a new artist. Absolutely. It's just very important. Barry was an exception for him. I mean, Springsteen, back in the days of CBS, of course, the big songwriters and, and performers, Springsteen, all the various ones we know back then. But Barry was everything. Barry's a songwriter, musician, performer, producer, arranger. I mean, all of these things, there are, I don't, I guess there's somebody else like that, but I don't know who it would be. What's, how is that for you as a producer with somebody like Barry who's, you know, a, a quintuple threat as it were yeah i um, learn something from him every time i talk to him so does he need you obviously he does because you're there i have i have feared that question for a long time <laughs> uh and you know i uh i'm grateful uh and very proud to be working with him because i do learn from him all the time actually i, I must tell you i learn from everybody i learn something from everybody but barry and i have known each other for a very long time um, I not only respect what he does, I really like what he does. You know, it's just beyond that. And he's a great writer and a conceptualizer of what he does. You know, he just has a natural talent for this, and he always wants to be good. When he goes out on stage in Vegas and stuff, and he knew he's up there right now, every time it's balls to the wall. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's got to be great, it's got to be great. And he films them. Every show he films, wow, and, and then the next it. day he watches it. Did I do that right? Is this good? Because he respects the audience, he, and, and he wants them to have a special time, you know? I, I don't know. There's not a lot of guys like that. That's a true performer. He's a real performer. So when you anyway. guys, uh, uh, your production relationship with him, once you walk into the studio, has to be quite different from other artists that you work with because he brings yeah. so much to the party. So... Uh, you guys found an equilibrium where obviously there's a ton of trust. He trusts you that if you don't have to be fearful of saying anything and you have to, all producers know that in many cases you're the psychologist for the artist. Sometimes they can get in their own way. Well, or the and, sounding board, you know, that, that kind of thing. So, so for Barry, uh, on what we're doing right now, we, we came upon a, a, a process where he wrote all these songs and they're based around you know 90% of his piano playing, mm -hmm. right? So we've got a piano track, really great, and then he'll put a scratch vocal to that, and then we put music on top of that. And it's worked out incredibly well because we've got the, the guide of the emotion of the piano. Here's a perfect example. 
uh, many years ago, got to be like 12 years ago now, I was doing a television show that was um, a summer replacement on ABC. And it was about impersonators, like here's an Elvis guy, here's a um, Little Richard guy, and so forth, right? Okay. And they're competing against each other as to who the best. Uh, I'd love to see anybody impersonate Little Richard, but go ahead. <laughs> this, guy, this guy was unbelievable. Wow. So, so anyway, they had, they had that, and interestingly you say that, the producers wanted to have Little Richard come on the final show and be with the impersonator guy. And so I'd known Richard just casually and now over the years, right? He comes on the show. This is, again, like 12 years ago. And, and he wasn't in great health. He's a kind of a big guy. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't in great health, but, but here he is. And he sits down at the piano. Uh, this is like in rehearsal or whatever, starting. We're not, we're, not, we're not filming yet. And so I said, Richard, play something. And now I've got a band there of great studio musicians, great guys, right? And he starts to play Good Golly Miss Molly on the piano. And he's got big hands, like basketball player hands. And he plays hard, right? And he starts to play. And in two seconds, you understand why rock and roll became a phenomenon. Wow. The feel of it is just magical unbelievable just him sitting at the piano playing all these guys including me run to get instruments right and to play along with little richard right as soon as we all started to play feel is gone wow nobody feels it the same way nobody feels it the same way as as, as little richard so how do you or make chuck a record Barry. with a guy like that you you uh, it doesn't sound the same anymore. call steve cropper and everybody no, else leaves the room no no that's it's way before those guys wow. because chuck berry and and richard developed this thing of you know here's a straight eighth right right okay and here's a swing right dotted eighth they somehow did a little bit in between and if you listen to Johnny Be Good by Chuck Berry and you listen to those Little Richard records of a long time ago you'll hear it kind of edge towards swing but edge towards straight and it's just this swampy feel that these guys had. And I talked to the drummer for Richard, who was like 17 or 18 when he started off with Richard. They were in a train station in, let's say it was Alabama, I'm not sure where, but somewhere like that. They were trying to figure out what they were gonna do, rhythmic, wow, what's, what are we gonna sound like? What are we gonna do? The train pulls in, chucka 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 chucka, and they both look at each other and they say, wow. that's the sound, that's what we want. Now. I don't know how you interpret the chuck 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 to what they're playing, but I guess they did. Yeah. And it's just a magical thing. So Barry, when he plays, has his feel that honestly nobody else does. And it kind of goes with the song. It just becomes a part of the whole thing. So we thought that this would be important, and it really has been important. This has been a, an interesting uh, procedure for him and for me. and. Um, it's been great because I always want to have Barry in the record, mm -hmm. not just a singer. I want to have Barry in the record. And that could be arrangement ideas, that could be him playing, that could be all kinds of things. So anyway, it, you know, it, it sounds a little crazy, some of these things, but not each, to me, each thing is different. You know, I, I worked individual. with Neil Young one time for an extended period, yeah. and, and he was the same way. We would cut everything with him doing guitar vocal. Mm. A lot of times him walking around the room with the guitar on and my assistant following him around with oh, an 87. Really? And, wow. and weeks later, he'd say, remember that rainy Tuesday afternoon? Can you pull that up? And, we, and he'd go, wow. there's a song in there. Wow. And, and eventually, um, 
it got 23 pieces overdubbed to his guitar vocals in Nashville. Oh my. And, and that's tough. Yeah. But you, but you had the essence of Neil Young, just like you're talking. You and had, sometimes we're not even doing it to a straight click. Um, yeah, we didn't use a click. Yeah, no, Barry will play the piano on two or three of these things. And uh, I mean, he plays, you know, really good time, but still, yeah. it has a human drift, you know? And then we'll create a click track to that. Wow. So it's it's uh, the technology as far as as this goes has just been phenomenal for us and and uh, you know just interesting and, and I don't know that we'll do it always this way but it it is it works really beautifully. We're Sometimes the best production on an artist like that is get out of the way and be there when they need you. You know when he looks up and says how was that take and you go not as good as number three. And they, he's got to have that trust in you well, to know yeah. to go back to number three because that's the keeper. He, he has a great head for this stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's an odd guy. This is an this is a guy that doesn't come along often. Barry Manilow doesn't come along often. Yeah. So, anyway, I'm grateful to be friends and to have a chance to work with him. It's been terrific. I really enjoy it. So next week, we're all getting invited down to the studio to hang yeah, out there. Exactly. <laughs> That'll exactly. never happen. Yeah, we're all going to have lunch. Yeah, man, we'll all come. I know, it'll um, be great. What makes an artist desirable to record labels in the public? Well, gosh, you know, that's a deadly question because now it can be YouTube views, Instagram views and likes and comments. Um, I... Uh, it's it's frightening because it's so superficial and you could say well the internet has given these people an opportunity to become noticed which is true um but if that's the only thing they're being noticed for oh yeah well they get this guy's got two million views oh he's got this he's got that this girl's got that well what about a great song what about do they sound really good are they really a good artist i think the public wants exceptionalism. I think that they're given a lot of nice things that really aren't exceptional, but the technology mm -hmm. can make it exceptional. They come and go. I mean, the audience, the listening public has always been somewhat fickle, but the yeah, level sure. of fickleness now, because everything is so immediate, you, you fall in love with this artist on your phone while you're sitting on a bus. And you can learn everything about him in 20 seconds. But then you grow weary of them quickly because there's so much other stuff and there's no artist development. There's no career there's development. No, there's no career development. It's, uh, uh, and you, you know, you've heard about a couple of these artists. For instance, I think Adele took a long time off, right? Mm -hmm. She might have had a health issue, as I recall, her vocal cords or something. Right? Anyway. I, I think that sounds I right. She also had a kid, didn't she? Perhaps so. I so she had so. a life. She had a life. She had a life. There yeah. you go. And and uh, but you know I remember when the Beatles were were happening. Now this is 150 years ago, but still, when the Beatles were happening, um, I remember Johnny Carson had a little blip on the show of tape from Liverpool or wherever they were playing in England. Yeah. And everybody got a little tease of it because there wasn't any way to see anything. Right. There wasn't no internet. There was just television. Yeah. The news showed. And there were only three things. channels and PBS. Right. So I mean there wasn't much. And and. Uh, you know, you didn't read about it in the newspaper until it got to be undeniable, right? So there was even even not just a development from a record label standpoint of view, but there was develop, development in the world, in mm -hmm. the public. And then when they finally did break here, well, they had been recording for a while, so there was a lot of material. 
and it all came out basically at the same time. And the time. marketing setup was well. I remember I saw him on the Beatles, uh, the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. I think it was oh, in, yeah, and then like in February or something. Yeah, in February 64. of sixty four. Yeah. The next day, I went out and bought a pair of Beetle boots and mm -hmm. a Beetle wig. I was a nine year old kid. And I showed Undeniable. up at school, and there were a bunch of other kids wearing it. So they already had that stuff in stock in the stores days, if not weeks, before they ever aired on Ed Sullivan. Und undeniable stuff. Yeah. It was just a, a crazy time. It would be more difficult for that to happen now. Um, uh, you know, I, I, you see it for movies. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's a tie-in for the new Toy Story movie or Star Wars or who knows what, right? Um, but it is more difficult for music to have that impact because it was life-altering. It wasn't just music. Presley, the Beatles, um, in a different way Motown uh, because there were R&B artists coming into white radio, you know, in a different way. You know, um, there was an incredible little copyrighted bit on the back of the Motown albums that was a silhouette of a guy and a girl dancing and it said, the music of young America. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it didn't say the music of young black America, the R&B music of America, the, the music of young America. And that is what this should all be about. This it, isn't black music, this isn't country music, this isn't whatever. Radio stations back there played all that stuff, right? But now, Marketing caused the um, the segregation yes, of genres absolutely. Uh, because they wanted to attract a, a, a black audience for black music right. and a you know a, a white southern audience for country music because the advertisers wanted a concentration right, of their people to buy their products so they weren't really doing anything wrong but it did cause segregation amongst well, what radio stations and, play. and, and I don't got, mean that it, in a racial no way. no it got splintered and splintered you know to rap and hip-hop and this and, and, and grunge metal and that I mean it was like you know right crazy but but the fact is is that people I think doesn't matter what your color is you want to hear some music yeah and I, I know a lot of I know a lot of country fans that like rap and I know I know rap fans that like Sinatra yeah. and uh, so I think the audience is much more eclectic than than the record companies, the advertisers give them credit for. Well, and and you then know. you've got the proof on Spotify where people build their own playlists exactly into all right. the stuff they love, not what's being When I go play basketball, uh, there's some uh, friends of mine, some black guys that come with radio, uh, you know, little boombox things that now, uh, not boombox, but little Bluetooth things, right. right? Boy, did I date myself. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. Only little, back to the 80s. Jeez. Oh, thank God. <laughs> little boombox things, and they'll play stuff, and some of it's old rap old hip-hop right yeah. and i'll ask them what that is right because some of it's just album cuts right but it's cool and uh, it's as cool as anything modern and in some ways it's almost more refreshing because people copied that and copied that and copied mm -hmm. that you know that you got to go back to the source sometimes so, but, but in any event the 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 whole thing black music has been tremendously influential in white music i mean not just chuck berry and little richard you know, what well, Osmonds, the Osmonds were a reflection of the Jackson Five. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can you can look at groups like that all the way along, Boys to Men at the time, you know, I mean, all kinds of things. So um, that, that was the basis of rock and roll, black music and country music, yep. you know, coming together, gospel, all that mixed in. So anyway, I'm very appreciative. And those are the people that I recorded first, you know, Solemn Nurk, Lou Rawls, 
Wow. Uh, Jimmy Smith, great jazz organist. Uh, you know, uh, I was I was extremely fortunate to record those people and learn from them. It was really great. And the Solomon Burke record. Oof. Oh my gosh. That, um, what are some tips that you might have for artists who are producing themselves in home studios? Back in our day, when well, you were even younger than I. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, you booked a professional studio. You booked professional players, unless it was a self-contained band, uh, and you brought all these things to bear to make the record. And you, mm -hmm. as the producer, were kind of the conductor of the orchestra. If you think of the orchestra, if as, there was a producer. Well, but I'm talking about when there was. Yeah. Okay, so producer was responsible for helping the band to find their best self, kind of. You right. Know? It's like, what are your best songs? And right. Maybe he should be singing that that lead vocal instead of you, or yep. maybe we need backgrounds on this, Could or be, guys, yeah. let, let's try it slower. All those little nuances that a, a really good professional producer can bring to bear on a record. Mm -hmm. So now you've got this generation of people for the last 10 years that are working in home studios, and they're isolated. And they do it themselves. Right, and so they're looking in a mirror, figuratively speaking. Yeah. Um, are there any thoughts you have on what a professional producer used to do in the studio that might be good tips for independent homebound people working on their own they're yeah, isolated I'm staring at the ground here thinking about this you know the it's a tough question yeah no it is and um, I think that you need to educate yourself by listening to other things that are successful not just the five things you're trying to emulate mm. Uh, because everybody at, at a certain point is reacting to something, right? Um, the, the trick is to not always react, but to be able to create something from your reaction. So if you hear a song, you don't want to create just the kind of a sideways version of that. Even though that may be successful, you want to try and add something to it that gives you a little bit more identity, let's say. Mm -hmm. So... I wouldn't go back, if you're, let's say you're doing something, just for argument's sake, let's say it's John Legend, right? Mm -hmm. um, he certainly is a singer that sings songs, right? And R&B and so forth, uh, R&B pop. Um, well, who in, in influenced him? Um, would it have been Boyz II Men? I, I don't know. Would it have been Marvin Gaye? Would, smart. <laughs> would it have, well, but he might have grown up hearing some of these things. Yeah. Would it have been Sam Cooke? Mm -hmm. Jackie Wilson, Sam Cooke, one of your favorites, right? Yeah, going back, and he was uh, one. Of, he, Lou was a backup singer for Lou Rawls was a backup singer for Sam Cooke. You, you know, I've got to let you guys know if anybody watches this, Michael Lloyd has told me this probably five times in the last ten years. Mm -hmm. I think it was Sam Cooke that you or no. Uh, Did what? Uh, you have said to me, find me a young... Oh, is it Sam Nat Co King Cole. Young Nat King Cole. Yeah, no, it doesn't oh. exist. I, I mean, it's just, it's like crazy. That's another whole Somewhere story. in a church, in a Baptist church in Alabama, Pro that person is out probably there. Probably does, probably does. But so so go back to Sam Cooke. Yeah. If you're interested in, in, in uh, John Legend, go back to Sam Cooke and see where some of that originated. It's not to copy Sam Cooke but you can be influenced by something that is more pure. And remember in those days, there weren't synthesizers, there, there, there weren't click tracks, nobody did that. It, they just, they had to go into the studio and play and create it and be that and write those songs. Sam wrote a lot of those songs. And um, I think that that idea can be 
terrific towards helping someone understand how to make their own record. You need a bit of musical history to back up what you're doing. You don't have to, again, you don't want to imitate something that's very old, but there might be something to learn from it, and you can apply that in a modern way to what's happening today. For instance, when you hear Pharrell sing Happy, right? Mm -hmm. It's a very simple record, and there are so many Motown-ish elements in it that make that song perfect. Um, he's not copying something, but the influences are undeniable when you listen to Uptown Funk. Mm. Um, listen to Ladies' Night, <laughs> and listen to a couple of those things that happened back then, and 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 you'll you'll hear, oh my gosh, you know, there are similarities. Yet Uptown Funk isn't a copy, and it sounds modern. So uh, the the one thing that I think people do today, which is not good, is they think music started five, six, seven years ago. It didn't. It started a long time ago. And the more education you can have in that is just gives you more to draw on for today. Um, so, uh, and obviously, you got to learn about the equipment, which is a big deal, right? It's not just, oh, we'll put some echo on. It's what's the echo that's going to enhance this? Well, what am I going to do to make this vocal stand out? How am I going to make it clear, the clarity of the record? Is there just too many things playing? Mm -hmm. Have I gotten bored with it? And oh, put another synthesizer, put another part on, the bells. And is by putting on so much to sound big, have I gotten smaller? Mm -hmm. Which is many times the case. Uh, if you if you're more open, you create more size because you have more space and, and you and you have more areas where you can hear things. Um, yes, Phil Spector created that wall of sound with 100, 100 musicians, but they had their place. Right, every part was so meticulously laid in there. They had their place. So, uh, but but I certainly sympathize with people that are getting this equipment and trying to learn the equipment and trying to become you know engineers and producers and technicians and all this kind of stuff. Um, but I encourage you to try and self-educate. Uh, there are you know, little things online from different manufacturers that maybe give you ideas about bus limiting and you know EQ and all this kind of stuff. Um, but listen to some of the old records and see how that might apply to what you're doing. The good news is now, back in my day, your day, uh if you wanted a Motown drum sound, you had to think about how they did it. You know, probably right. in a room with a vinyl floor, right. probably a mono overhead mic and a snare mic and maybe a kick mic on it. Yep. Excuse me. Now you can just pull up Motown drums and they will sound pretty darn good. Yeah. Um, so there's that. You know, it it's, adds, it's the feel. Yeah. It's the feel. You can get you can get some of those drum samples and I do it too, but it's the feel. But then what I'll do is I'll go in and play drums on real drums on, on top, top of it. that. Yeah, and, and humanity. And it and it and it can make a huge difference. Uh, it, now, of course, it depends on the song. If it's an EDM song, that's a constant, mm -hmm. you know, dance. Well, maybe you don't need, or even maybe that's a bad thing to put real drums on it. But, but still, on a lot of other records, it would be something appropriate. Um, but the, um, you know, that one microphone thing he's alluding to. So when I go in and record. Because I've got a setup of drums that most of the time that I always use. Hey, by the way, you should know, Michael lives in Beverly Hills on what... Well, it, yeah, we won't go into that. Well, <laughs> but 
I, I won't give anything away. I'll just say he's got a. So I've got a, I've got access to a studio. <laughs> Let's say that's it. Well, he, yeah, he he's got an out studio. Yeah, I got a studio. So so here's a set of drums. Now sometimes it's two toms, sometimes it's three. So you know you can mic the, the the toms on top, which you see a lot of, or you can mic them underneath. It's a whole nother sound because you don't get the attack of the stick in anywhere near the same way. Um, you can take the bottom heads off. It's a whole nother world, right? So that's something to consider um, but I'll mic all these things separate there'll be a lot of mics right but over the drums will be a Sony C37 oh my goodness C37P we, we, no mm -hmm. not a P C37 the old tube one. Oh, wow and that is the one if you go online to any of the Wrecking Crew photos you'll see Hal sitting there with a C37 Hal Blaine above him just that mic and maybe there's a kick drum mic, right? And that's it. That is the sound. And they'd move it around a little bit, depending, you know. But they so also forth. had Hal Blaine's touch. They had because if I went out and played that kid, it would well, sound like crap. Well, and that's a big deal. But it all. But they didn't have. You know, some of these consoles only had like 14 or 15 inputs. You, you know, yep. you can't. <laughs> you're not going to have a lot of microphones. So <laughs> uh, you know, and there'd be Carol Kay playing bass and so-and-so and so-and-so, and it's another whole world. So um, I have done, I have used that overhead mic sometimes, just that. Even though I have all the others on separate tracks, I've turned those off and just have that overhead with a kick drum. And you, you can't imagine, all of a sudden, it's a different sound. So, um, and some of these things you can emulate with programming as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of these things are pretty, you know, comprehensive, and they've got room, and they've got a mic here and a mic there, and you know, you, you can you can kind of emulate that sound. Um, but whether or not you do that isn't so important. The idea is, how am I going to make this to have a feel? How am I going to make this recording uh, sound interesting to somebody uh, without every bell and whistle that you can get on a virtual instrument? So, if you have a good song. Now you got to present it well. We talk at Taxi about this all the time about demos and about this. How can I make my demo sound better? Should it be this? Should it be just a piano and voice? Uh, boy, I'll tell you today, you know, they're kind of looking to get finished records on stuff. So anything you can do to learn, to educate yourself, as we just said, um, I would encourage you to look into it. It's tough, but you guys can do it. While we're on the subject, so it's <clears throat> great song, great performance which, you know, those are the standards that anybody who's serious about this stuff has lived by for a very long time. E you know, even going back to sessions with a single microphone for the whole room. Sure. People understood it, it was the song and the performance and the technology was an enhancement to cap, it was a tool to capture the performance in the song. But vocal performances in particular, something that I see getting weaker with every generation. Mm. I don't hear that many vocal performances that hold up to the performances of yesteryear and I'm not just being a grumpy old guy saying yeah, that yeah. but I've been around long enough and been in the control room for enough great vocals that I, I wanted to ask you how you in a quiet moment when it's just you and Barry Manilow in the studio or you and any of the artists that you've worked with in the studio and you're not feeling the love coming out of the mouth on the vocal what are some um not tactics, but what what are the some of the yeah, techniques? Yeah, no, technique, that, yeah, technique is a good is a good word. Uh, I mean, you you really want to tell people to act these lyrics out, 
They want to be an actor or an actress. Uh, what is the lyric saying? Is it fun? Is it sad? Is it love? Is it whatever? How are you going to reach somebody? How are you going to communicate that lyric to somebody? And acting it out is what I say over and over and over. You know, just listen to the lyric as you're singing it. Mm -hmm. When you read it, when you see it there, if it says, I want you, I want you, that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. I want you. I'm moving over. <laughs> you know, I, I, no disrespect, but I, you know, I'm just saying. Uh, so, when you work with Frank Sinatra, who's the king of interpreting in, lyrics. In, incredible. And um, to the point of getting like, what? He put the T on the end of stuff and all. I mean, it's just like ridiculous. Uh, but, but the... Um, and this is what will happen. This invariably happens. You'll say to somebody, you know, really go crazy on this one. Mm. You know, just, oh, yeah, great. So I can just do anything I want? Yeah, go crazy because we got another one here. It's really good. But now experiment, right? right? And they'll sing it exactly the same way. And they'll think, I'm going crazy, right? <laughs> oh, I'm, I've been crazy, right? And then they'll say, how was that? And I will say, well, it's... <laughs> very much like what you just did <laughs> really i thought i was like outside the box you know so when you're singing and when you're doing it it's very very different and uh, you you need to be able to communicate the emotion of the song and help that person if they need it in terms of delivery how are you going to deliver that so that you don't sound just like a common person. You want it to sound exceptional in some way. And when you hear Adele and when you hear Ed Sheeran, he just naturally has that thing. You know, he just naturally communicates. Barry Manilow just naturally communicates. Elvis Presley, whoever, right? Some of these people, they just naturally Those communicate. Those are exceptional artists. You want to be exceptional. So You want to be as exceptional as you can. I've seen some of my engineering colleagues turn a vocal recording into a science project mm -hmm. and it all at a very young age i understood that they were doing something wrong they would set up four microphones oh i know Jeez. and they would you know do another take let's listen to the sony let's listen to the akg they're, and they get they're so gone by then the yeah they get so inside the head of the vocalist that the performance is gone because they're worrying about how do I sound? They're worrying about their pitch and everything. My theory is shove an 87 in front of them. And Knock just, yourself out. Yeah, roll tape. Um, so for those that don't know this, um, when Frank would go into the studio. As in Sinatra. He, he would sing once. The, the orchestra would be there. They'd do it all at the same time. God forbid there was like a mistake in the orchestra or whatever but they could be, you imagine being that guy <laughs> they would rehearse it and so forth this before he got studio there, a, right? wherever and and they would come in and sing he did not believe in okay well let's do another one i think i can do it better a at a certain later stage in his career he did do some different things but that was more of an aberration and dean and sammy and those guys all took the same page out of his book so when Sammy came in and sang, it was kind of like one time. Candyman was kind of one time. That was it. And, and he didn't even, can we get a little vocal level here? He didn't even do that. You had to get the vocal level and everything. He wasn't being arbitrary. He, it was just that he wanted to give a performance, right? Well, the, and they were all performers, and that's too. What, and they were performers, and they were used to that. Dean Martin didn't go to the, any of the rehearsals for his television show. <laughs> he had no idea what was going on. 
he would just show up when they taped it. So he had a, a bit where someone would come through a door, you know, mm -hmm. like knock on the door and him. he never knew who was going to be there. So when he reacted, that was a genuine reaction. Nice. So uh, now these guys are exaggerated, bigger than life things, but they came out of a time when you had to get up in front of an audience with very little PA or mic or anything, and you somehow had to deliver. And that's what they grew up with. That's what they were educated to, and their talent allowed them to do that. When the Beatles played at the Hollywood Bowl, I have, I have the tape of that that I sold, by the way, to the Beatles. Wow. And they are on stage, screaming girls. There's only a couple of mics on the drums, guitar, guitar, bass, right? Five mics, two singing mics. So let's say seven mics. Um, there were no monitors because you heard yourself supposedly through the PA at really? the Hollywood Really? They had Bowl. no wedges on the floor? They Nothing. They didn't exist then. Wow. So you listened to yourself out of the PA. Yeah. That's how you heard yourself. Well, not for them because the screaming was unbelievable. <laughs> and the screaming is so loud, it's coming into these mics which are on stage. There's no audience mics right. You know, picking this up. They're just coming into these mics. These guys played spot on. They played the same exact licks as the record. It's incredible. But now getting back to your kind of question about this, why don't why don't they sing better now and all this? Well, these guys were in Hamburg at a club playing six hours a day or something, rock and roll songs, Chuck Berry, Elvis, Motown, whatever they were playing, cover songs, over and over and over. That was their education. That was their school. So they had to learn how to do that. Mm -hmm. They just happened to be unbelievably talented as well. I mean, four guys together that were just, you know, off the yeah, charts. Meant to be, and, yeah. and you're right. They they got their performance chops up because they got live feedback from the audience. They knew exactly how and, to connect with the audience and what worked for the audience. And and yes, it was a long time ago. But if people could go out and perform now, which doesn't happen as much, the club scene is all very different than it was. Um, that would be educational. That would be a wonderful opportunity. Um, I mean, that's what I did. I went and played in my band. We played all the time. And and uh, when, when we were 12 and 13. Did you, grow, you grew up in Southern yeah, California, yeah. right? Yeah, you we weren't were born here, but you grew up No, right? surf band. Yeah, we had a surf band when I was 12. So, um, you know, that kind of thing is just irreplaceable. And uh, people don't get enough chances for that, mm -hmm. right? And when they go into the studio, they think, well, that's kind of it. Now, if they have a hit record, well, they get out on stage they're not very compelling maybe they just haven't had enough time to learn how to be compelling right mm -hmm. lady gaga you know was pretty compelling right from the, but but if you look at her stuff before she was lady gaga yeah it's a different kind of person she thought obviously somehow somebody thought this is what i'm going to do this is how i'm going to present myself i'm going to get separated from the pack mm. right but she's one of those she's a very good singer so she's I think one she's of those the best female singer in the world, right? She's, in the pop world, right? She's now. really good. At she's the end really of Monsters good. Ball, when the credits are rolling, the end credits are rolling, they show footage from backstage with her warming up with her background vocalist. Oh, yeah. Makes the hair in your arm. I, I remember, no, I, I was not a Lady Gaga fan until I saw Monsters Ball, and then when I saw that, that sealed the deal because anybody who's ever worked in a studio really and had, had to get a great vocal performance out of an artist. I looked at that and said, okay, that's one of those artists where you light a candle, turn down the lights, and just roll tape and say, go for that's it. That's right. No, she's 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 a throwback artist. 
yeah. in, in many ways. So, um, and when you can, when you think about her, her um, breadth of work product, mm -hmm. you know, from the dance stuff of Lady Gaga up to Stars Born yeah. Lady Gaga or Tony Bennett or something like that. That well, stuff a, she did with Tony Bennett was that's freaking a, amazing. But that's a wide range yeah. of stuff. Very few people can do that, navigate through that, uh, and be genuine, right? Well, she can, yeah. and she's a rare talent. So she is. Uh, but but she, you know, she also knows how to perform. Mm -hmm. So that came from somewhere, you know. So it's uh, but th those kind of things you got to work at. That's the other thing, guys. Don't take it for granted that you're just going to be successful somehow. Work at this stuff. Work at this. Spend time learning, listening to other people. How do I get better? How do I get better? Um, Let's talk about this. You and I have deal. talked uh, ad nauseum about this over the years. You and I and, and Shirelli have talked about this. Rob Shirelli, the, the three of us and our wives go out to dinner uh, a few times a year. We let Rob come, basically. That's right. As one of the things we talked about, uh, not so much anymore because I think we've worn the subject out, is entitlement. People mm. think just because I want it, I'm owed it. Yeah. And you've been around the block long enough and have worked with a wide enough range of real artists to see that I'm guessing virtually all of them earned it. I mean, Barry, talk about earning it, and the Beach Boys, talk about earning it. Oh my gosh, they just, you know, or the Osmonds. The Osmonds, you know, were on the Andy Williams show, they did Barbershop, they worked <laughs> and worked and worked at that. Um, and they were ridiculously good, they were just great. Um, they could do anything, um, dancing, uh, tell jokes, you know, whatever. Yeah, um, they're performers. Uh, I went to see Donnie Marie. I hadn't seen them in a long time. Like, I haven't seen them alive, I bet you, like 40, 40 or 50 years. Wow. Right? And I, last time was the television show, probably. <laughs> um, but um, they're up in Vegas, and they're just unreal on stage. They were born to do this. They literally were born to be this way because the Donnie and they, they on the Dandy Williams, it's a tiny little baby, yeah. you know, and uh, they've done this all their lives, and on stage, they're just great. Um, so the, uh, again, the opportunity for these things doesn't exist so much now, and it has been a kind of an entitlement thing. I want to be successful. I've got the equipment. Uh, I like hip-hop. I like country. So here I go. And um, that's not coming from a great place because you can be easily disappointed. And there's no reason to come from that place. It's, I, I, I like these kind of artists. I want to do what they're doing. I'm going to work my ass off to get to where they are. Mm -hmm. Slightly different mindset. So it requires a lot of work, a lot of effort. Um, and, 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 you know, there's bumps in the road and sometimes it's smooth, right? But you got to jump over the bumps and you got to make it smooth. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, any business is tough. People say, oh, the record business is much tougher now. It's always tough. Yeah. It's all these things. It's making this table is tough. Get over it. <laughs> right? <laughs> Just get out there and do your best. Let's take some of the questions that the audience sent us before the show. Okay. Um, when producing an album, how do you choose which song should be the single? It's, it's the best one. <laughs> the best one uh, you know I, it's kind of a consensus that comes comes up everybody says oh my gosh that's the single yeah right and, and I must tell you if that doesn't happen you may not have a single so you know in today's world it's much more single oriented it's like it was in the 60s the 50s single records single records so 
people go into the studio, they're not looking for an album cut. Oh, this would be great on the album. Well, okay, what you want is a hit. So you're looking for singles. And the more you have, the better you're better off you are. So it starts right at the beginning. What's the hit? What's the hit? This question's a little complex, but I think and, I can. And then save it for somebody that's <laughs> smarter than me. Uh, I think he can handle it. Uh, Mark Himley asks, uh, when, working hey, Mark. With, when working with an artist, how do you handle the payment? Assuming, uh, assuming you are creating all of the music and doing all the production work and the artist is handling lyrics and vocals, Sounds to me like you're in a band together there. Yeah. Uh, do you solely charge a producer fee? So got to remember that you're creating the music in the track and the artist is doing lyrics and the vocal. So do you solely charge a production fee and let the artist keep 100% of the back end? Split, do you split the back end 50-50 with no upfront producer fee or somewhere in the middle? Hmm. Well, it sounds like you're actually doing something that's work for hire stuff for someone coming in. Yeah. So if some artist is just coming in and, and you know, you charge them 50 bucks an hour for a studio and to record it and blah, 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 um, you're really just, uh, you know, a for hire setup. And that may be all it is. Um, if, on the <laughs> sorry, <laughs> if I didn't do that break, it kicks me under the table. Okay. Oh my God. Sorry. It's really funny. Um, if, on the other hand, it's an artist that you're working with in a producer-artist way, um, you know, you're not going to, she's not going to necessarily, or he, you're not going to necessarily be paying you. Um, maybe you're a team, or as Michael just said, you're in the same band or something. So um, you're kind of all for one and one for all, in which case your goal is to either make something you all can sell yourself, or you're going to want to get it with a record company or something, and the producer's going to get X and the artist is going to get Y. It's split up however, whether it's 50-50 or not, or 90-10 or something else. That's up to you guys in, in deciding all that. But you're not really paying the artist, right? There's kind of two ways. They're either hiring you to kind of fulfill a function, as if you're going to go get your car fixed, or you're working on something that's going to be more long-term and we're trying to be a partnership here we're trying to be a team mm -hmm. right and you're going to try and get a deal or sell it yourself or something and then you guys have to make up some sort of arrangement between the two of you whether it's a band and you or a single artist and you you got to make that up um so you know th these are more complex questions that isn't a complete answer but it's a partially complete answer it, it's also more it gets even more complicated when the artist works with four or five or six different producers on different songs for the record right. then is it most favored nations where everybody gets the same deal or let's say that that's know, a that's a successful artist generally. yeah so, big successful, yeah, artist. successful but let's artist. say that you're working with uh bringing in pharrell and uh Pharrell comes in with the beat and he ends up collaborating with you on right. this and you come up with uh, the top line. Right. And Pharrell produces, that's a tough question, you know. The, all those things become, there. there's no rule for any of that. They're, they're all in a state of flux. And you do need to try to understand that it is a state of flux and you've got to define your relationship. 
So, um, and you're right. So, so, some of it could be some of it could be. Um, um, Every, you know, everybody's the same, favorite nation. Some, mm -hmm. some, sometimes it's like that. Um, um, sometimes it's not. It also depends on what you're bringing to the table. So if you're, if you're just creating beats, nothing more, well, then that's X. If you're creating beats and you've got lyric ideas, okay, that's more. If you're creating beats, lyric ideas, and you have an understanding of, of uh, engineering, Right, and you're recording a lot of that at your house, and then he's taking that and adding to it. Well, now that's something again different. The technology and the way of modern recording has confused this, yeah, and given many many opportunities for people to argue. <laughs> so I did that. I create. What do you mean? So uh, it's I think important to try and define your relationship as close to the beginning as possible so there aren't any disagreements and, and that that doesn't cloud the whole issue creating problems because what you want is a path to success particularly if it's with somebody that's having some success and then there's the um, the star factor you know if you're uh, you yourself are a star but you're bringing Pharrell on to do a track that's going to have more weight and may be considered for a single faster than a, a lesser known producer right, right. so Pharrell may be able to cut a deal his manager is going to cut a deal for him on that record because he brings something to it absolutely that without him you wouldn't have necessarily Ab absolutely and, and that's why it's it's a uh, there is no rule and the road can be crooked and there could be many paths. Um, I know we haven't answered this perfectly, but think back to, to what we said at the beginning, which is you might be performing a service for somebody that's coming in and basically renting your place and you're kind of helping them make the record. And, and you are work for hire, you have no ownership in it, nothing, when they walk out the door with it, see ya, that's it. You, and if they sell a million records, they sell a million records. You don't have anything to do with it. The other side of that is you do, <laughs> yeah. and it's everything in between. And the everything in between is what your arrangement is with that artist. And, and, you know, some of those rules existed back in our day right? because you would uh, be working on a record. A typical production deal was two or three points on the gross retail sales probably 50 to 100k up front on, on a oh if it's a, if it's a record company yeah oh yeah sure but that, so if, that's if a record company has hired you right different different story but, that can happen today too but then you as the producer that gets you know you're brought on as a craftsperson a tradesperson almost you know to help get the best performance and what have you from that artist but uh, two-thirds of the way through the record, uh, one night you're hanging out with the artist late in the studio and you guys come up with a song together. Now you're a co-writer. Right. And that artist is co-producing with you on that because you both had the idea and developed it together. Could be. So things started to change back around the mid to late 70s. I started seeing stuff like yeah, that happen. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, yeah. There were two producers, Russ Teitelman and uh, Lenny Warner. Yeah, at Warner Brothers. Yeah, um, those guys brought a lot of that stuff to records, you yeah. know. Yes, I'm producing the Doobie Brothers, but I'm also doing X on the record, you know. So right, right. No, it's... it's it, there's and, no easy cut. And, and I'll, I'll produce them and mix them and all this kind of stuff. So it, it just kind of, it just kind of depends. It just kind of depends on how you proceed, right? And we're not trying to sidestep it, but it, it is a complicated issue. Uh, Reginald Estelle asks, if I write a song for a known artist, would I usually get paid something up front for my time or do no. I just get my publishing split? You get publishing and writing. 
Uh, and you wouldn't be doing a split right off the bat unless the artist said, right, right. I will only cut this if you cut me in as a co-writer. Right. They or, usually uh, won't say it like that. No, They'll say, no. hmm. I think I think this, I think it should be <laughs> and instead of but. Right. Now, right. I'm a now, now, now we got a song. <laughs> we, I think we're in the room oh, on the same yeah. day for that one. Oh, yeah. Um, further, as a new songwriter, am I... I am seeing the artists slash labels have their own production teams. This goes back to what we we're just right, talking about. Right. I guess partially so they can keep all the royalties. Um, yeah, they don't really. The artist doesn't. The artist may work with someone uh, more often than someone else, or they may work like Jimmy Jam and and Terry Lewis. They did all the uh, uh, Janet Jackson stuff. Yeah. Well, they, they did it because they were. That was the team. Right. They were the producer. She was the artist. They got along. George Martin produced the Beatle records. Brian Wilson produced the Beach Boy records, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and there are uh, opportunities for um, sometimes 10 cuts, 10 different producers. Yeah, sorry, click, click. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know it's a problem. So, you know, I He was clicking the ballpoint yeah, yeah, pen, yeah, so I gave him a pencil. It's a bad thing. I'm just going to tap this mother. So, anyway, the um, sometimes there could be an album with 10 cuts and 10 different producers. Yeah. Um, I my leanings are towards a team so if if these two or three people here are the producers and uh, and here's the artist and they're having success i want that team to stay together mm -hmm. i want that team to be the 80s lakers i want that team to be the golden state warriors i want them to get along i want them to keep that train moving now the other side of that is, I need to grow. Right. So, right. Bree and I were talking about this the other day. The sophomore record. Yes. Now do you bring the same team back because yeah. you could I, be stuck right where you were? I mean, I I think I think you, uh, I think you keep the same team going until it, you know, until it's apparent that it's not working. But I really do. I think you keep the same team going on and on. There are going to be people that disagree with me. Oh, that's not what's happening today. It's old fashioned. Okay, um, I get a lot of uh, influence from sports, and I see Bilicek and Tom Brady together. I want to keep them together. They somehow know how to win. Mm -hmm. And until it's proven they can't, which there's been moments up and down, but to the credit of the whole Patriots organization, they kept them together. And uh, look what happened, right? Mm -hmm. It's like unbelievable. So um, I understand the yin and yang of this whole thing, um, but I kind of like the the idea of of people rooting for each other. Or they're all in the same boat, and they're they're all focused on being successful. Uh, you don't want to just do the same record over and over and over. I get it. But why would you think they're going to do the same record over and over? Look at Holland, Dozier, and Holland in Motown, hit after hit after hit with all these different artists. Um, I don't know. Seems pretty good to me. Boy, you just made me flash on Lamont Dozier on stage at the Road Rally. That great, was, great guy. That was so special for me personally. That was just one of those moments where I went, man, I love what I do for a living. Yeah. Oh, um, Marion Laird asks, of all the songs you've either written and or produced for film or TV, um, so records, film, TV, all that stuff, uh, any one in particular stand out in your mind as your favorite, and if so, why? No, um, I've been asked that question over and over and over. I've heard other people ask the same question. Um, to tell you the truth, I like them all. And I like the ones that weren't successful. Um, 
because they're like children. I know this sounds really trite, but I, I like them all. And I'm grateful to have a chance to do any of them, one of them, 10 of them, anything. Um, so there isn't anything that stands out as being my favorite. There are some that stand out as being perhaps more successful than others, but you know, I like them all. Did I like working with Lou Rawls when I was 20? Absolutely. And if I had the chance to do it again, and if he were here right now, I'd give him a hug and want to do it now. Um, the uh, it's there isn't a favorite. Not a favorite artist. Not a favorite song. There there are artists that are my dear friends: Barry, Sean, uh, Mike, and the Beach Boys. You know, obviously, but they're all important. How about a favorite moment in the studio, where something was going in the dumper, and you had a you know, had a flash of an idea and rescued something that turned around and became a big hit. Well, when you used to record on tape, um, many times you'd have a session, and in that session you had, you know, enough money to get the musicians and so forth for. But there was this other thing that you had that had no money and no budget, and no one cared about it. Mm -hmm. And so what you do is you'd stick it on the end of the session, right? <laughs> it was like a, this is a famous, I mean, Everybody did this. So I'm recording an artist, and we've got another like 12 minutes or something. I had no money for Sean Cassidy. Hmm. And I had an Eric Carmen song called That's Rock and Roll. And the drummer, uh, I said, look, it's, it, it, I, I had a little chord chart, right? And they didn't really have any time to run it down mm -hmm. or anything. So I said to the drummer, look, could you just, I'm, I'll play like a rhythm guitar, just a scratch rhythm guitar so you hear how it goes and look at the chord chart and can you just play like kind of kick and snare, maybe a fill here and there? Yeah, 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 sure, sure. So we sat there and did that and then he left and then I just played the instruments on top of that but I had the basis of the drum. I, I probably would have played the drum if I had no choice but but he's a good drummer, better than me, and it was good for him to do it. So that's how we got that record done at the end of a session, number one record. You know, two million singles, a huge thing for Sean. Um, for Leif, same thing happened. At the, end of, at the end of a Leif Garrett session, we were doing cover songs. Mm -hmm. I had written a little kind of disco song, and we had no time. Sorry, right. you can still be my friend. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, and we had no time, and I, I played the piano, and the guys followed the chord chart, and uh, and it was his biggest hit. So it it it, it they that happened more then. Mm -hmm. Now that doesn't happen as much because a you're not hiring musicians necessarily to come and in and play time anymore. is essentially free. Yeah. For a lot of people, so uh, it, it doesn't happen the same way. But those were those were cool moments because something good came out of a last second. Oh, let's just squeeze it on, mm -hmm. and it didn't just happen to me. It was it's a cliche in the music business, so it happened all the time. The other things that got put on uh, session bills as food were well, no, as tape. I mean, fancy dinners delivered to the studio mm -hmm. showed up as reels of two inch tape and uh, drug budgets. 
I frequently saw getting billed as rolls of two-inch tape. Really? Yeah. We didn't have any drug budgets. We didn't have any food budgets. I worked in Miami. We had very small budgets. <laughs> I worked in Miami in the 70s. I think the drug budget was the top that, line item. Yeah, well, that could be. No, that, that, that was one thing that was important for me and for Mike Kerb. We, you know, didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't You've never drugs. been a partier. Well, we, we would have fun and party, but we I think that I was... Um, I wanted to be in charge, mm -hmm. and I didn't want to have something going on in my life that made it perhaps not in charge or out of control or in some way. And, and I saw a lot of you've friends. You've had a career this long, well, and some people haven't. But I've seen some people back then, what happened with them, and was not attracted to that at all. Mm -hmm. So I was, God watched over me, I'll tell you, because I was protected coming through that time. Any number of things could have happened, and I'm very grateful that I never got into that. Um, please ask Michael Lloyd. Uh, this is from Rashid Laney. I hope I got that name right. Sorry if I didn't. Hi, Michael. Please ask Michael Hi. Lloyd. Uh, advice he can give me with respect to submitting a song I specifically wrote for an established artist to sing, in this case, Demi Lovato. So this gentleman wants to know, yeah. I wrote a song for Demi Lovato. How do I get it to her? No one is going to take your song cold. Um, the legalities of that, while they may be hazy, has become a reality. And you send something in to the record company, they, they're just going to put it, you know, in, you know, if it was a cassette in the old days, they just put it in a box and eventually throw it all away. So, uh, and, and that happens today too. What I would recommend is, is if you could consider this, and maybe at the next rally there's going to be people there like this, you get involved with perhaps um, an attorney that that's, that kind of specializes in new songwriters, new artists. There's 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 two or three that, that have been at the that taxi. are still left. Yeah, yeah, and 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 they need to entree that for you into some place. Now that doesn't mean you necessarily have to pay the money. Maybe you, if they get it, they would get a little piece or a little something. You'd have to negotiate what that is, but you're going to need some help there. Uh, attorneys can be uh, effective in that. Maybe there are people that are um, placement people. You know the guy in Nashville that's so cool? Um, Song plugger? Yeah. He was out here a few years ago. Oh, yeah. Um, I can't think of his name. Yeah. But uh, he, he wouldn't do that because it's not yeah. uh, bluegrass and it's not country, which are his Bailey. Work. Right. But if it um, but if it were the version of yeah. Demi Lovato out here, they're, you know, chicks with hits and those people in Nashville oh, do a lot of this. I can't believe you know them. Yeah. Yeah, so, I always felt outnumbered when I. It, it's a group of publishers, yeah. like six ladies that get right. together, and yeah. on a Wednesday afternoon at four o'clock, you go have a glass of wine, some cheese and crackers, yeah. and you play them your stuff. Very effective, and they play it for other people. Yeah, but um, a publisher obviously uh, would be someone that could uh, be effective for that. But you got to get with the publisher. So uh, it is challenging. Oh, I've written the perfect song for Demi Lovato. It is challenging to get it to that point where, they, where it can be judged. Um, but if you think of some of these things, and you know, another way to do it, uh, ASCAP or BMI, they've got uh, uh, seminars and stuff, and uh, Songwriters of LA or whatever it's called. LA Songwriters uh, yeah. Showcase, which is no longer in existence. Oh, it's but, not, okay. No. John Verhaney? Yeah, it kind of... Uh, when he passed away, it all Yeah, it kind of died well, a couple of years so, before so, And passed you may away. not be in LA, you may be somewhere else, and there may be a songwriters association where you are. Um, taxi. There's a place called Taxi, 
<laughs> and you know they happen to specialize in this stuff. So you want someone pitching your stuff, and Taxi right. is a perfect example but too. I should point out, and obviously I did that for humorous effect. But yeah. here's the difference in what when I started Taxi, I saw all these people that were out there. Can you get my song to so and so? And I would tell them the same exact thing that you're telling these guys. Everybody thinks they've got a hit, and the people in the industry who can be that li liaison have heard that a thousand times right. this week. So here's another person standing in front of them with a cassette, figuratively speaking, in their hand, saying, can you get this to Demi Lovato? Um, the chances of you ever getting in front of that person are extremely slim. Again, you have to do the work. You have to do the homework. Right. You, you've got to earn your way into that seat on the other side of their desk, and then you better have the goods before they're going to lift a finger to help you. I thought, doesn't it make more sense? And I learned this as a shoe salesman at 14 years mm -hmm. old. If a woman walked into the store and asked for a 7.5B beige potoswat to wear to a wedding where she's a bridesmaid, you certainly wouldn't bring her a man's Baswegian 9.5D in Cordovan. And if I had any idea what you just said, I would agree. <laughs> you don't bring a, a, a lady's shoe for a man or a man's shoe for a woman. Okay, you bring them what they're looking for. That's a little discriminatory, but okay. But you bring them what they're looking for. Right, so I right. thought, why not put, and no pun intended, why not put the shoe on the other foot mm. and reverse the process? All you people out there that are looking for something specific, why don't you tell us, then we tell our, our right, members, right. and our members pitch it, but it's got to go through a filter because if it goes unfiltered. And that used to be the old days, like the Brill Building. Right, right. And and so those kind of things existed then, much more difficult now. Taxi, you know, would be one of the only places like that. So Boy, wouldn't you give a fingertip to, like, spend a week in the Brill Building? Oh, gee whiz. So, but anyway, I, I certainly understand the, um, the feeling and the frustration of trying to get a song that you feel is great to somebody. What, what you might also think is, okay, it's great for Demi Lovato. I heard this girl singing at a wedding I heard this girl singing at a bar you know she was really good to I thought and you know she doesn't sound like Demi Lovato but she sounds really good I wonder if she should cut it and I can get so-and-so who has a studio at his house maybe we could make a record I'll tell you things like this happen and all of a sudden your primary directive isn't the success it's the secondary directive and you found this girl who all of a sudden now becomes bigger than Demi Lovato, right? And and I'm not saying this is easy either, but there's no reason for this to be a brick wall. And and as Michael has said, you gotta work at this, and you gotta work at the ideas. Creative ideas will be an incredible help. Uh, and what you're talking about right there is artist development. And, yeah, and this is yeah, how people yeah, get A&R yeah, yeah. jobs, this yes, is how people absolutely. become big time producers. The same exact scenario you just described is how people become big managers. It's bringing together disparate elements that are going to ignite a fire. Yep. And you put them inside that shoebox, pour some lighter fluid on them, and light the match. 90% of the time, 95% of the time, there's going to be no fire. But for the 5 or 10% of the time Absolutely. there is, people in the industry will recognize that. The act will get signed, the song will get sung, and you will come out the other end with some power and some money. That's right. It's, yeah. It really is. A f and leads you further. Yeah. You know, this isn't just... Just a song getting cut. This is this the, getting a song getting cut and having some success of whatever level it is or getting a placement in a movie what, or a TV show, whatever that is. That is something to talk about and that is something that 
at whatever level you're on will take you presumably then to a little bit higher level, right? James Haggerty asked a question. I think we just answered. Can I answered. ask a question? Yeah. What? Why does this keep moving? Because people are adding stuff at the bottom. The, they're constantly typing stuff in. Oh, I see. So it's moving oh, in and they're talking with us. And they're talking amongst themselves. They do that. Look at that. They're probably talking about what they're drinking or having for dinner. Yeah. Thank you so much, you too. Hi, Bob. Hi. Say something, Bob. <laughs> Can you see me now, Sarah? No, I can't see you at all. We're all talking. <laughs> Just bring me something I can use. We love dirty laundry. Hmm. Okay. And you too. Okay. okay. And We've you. only got okay. a few minutes left, so. Holy moly. Ha ha. Hi, Michael and Michael. That's from Jay. Hi, Jay. Hi, Michael. D.W. Okay. So. Keep those cards and letters coming in, folks. We really like it here at Taxi TV. Um, James Haggerty asked a question that I think has been asked and answered in that last answer, which was, what advice do you have for a rookie songwriter whose goal is to provide songs uh, to established recording artists as opposed to writing for sync? Mm. you got to meet them, and you probably got to split songwriting with them. Um, that's a, you know, that's a rule. So I have some friends that somehow met Bruno Mars, and... Uh, I used to play basketball with them, very talented guys, and they told me they were working Bruno Mars. I said, oh, that's great. Time goes by. This is like a year and a half ago now. And uh, they call me one day and say, are you a voting member of the Grammys? I said, yeah. And they said, well, our record is up. I <laughs> said, what record is that? And it's the Bruno Mars record. And I said, oh, my gosh, that's fantastic. So I voted for their record and blah, 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 and it won. Um, well, I didn't get into the detail of it, you know, but there are eight writers on it. Which is as you as you saw, I'm sure this past Grammys, eight is a small number, right? <laughs> I mean, there could be nine, ten writers on it. It's hard to imagine how that works out, but just imagine this: let's say there are eight. Even if you split it just eight ways, what you would be making on that song is not a lot. And then, if each of the writers has a publisher, now you're making one sixteenth. So it would be, you know, m much less. And and that's assuming that it's split equally. There is nothing to say that it's split equally. Uh, maybe somebody has 25% of the song and you have one sixteenth, right? So um, I think, though, that to get started and to get a credit because that credit can be very very valuable as we just said you know you got to try and meet these people and by meeting them you got to go to events you got to show up at things you got to oh well that, that that event there everybody there is just like me okay well but maybe you've got a song that's not like everybody else maybe you're going to meet somebody at that event that's speaking that you get along with and that you impress in some way and and it's and it's not like everybody else so uh, this is the work part of it, right? This is the work part of it. Yeah. And, and you got to be willing to put in that kind of effort. Um, and then you may meet somebody and, and, and write with them. And then you get started. Uh, but placements, don't, don't turn away from placements because placements can give you a foundation. If you're on some television show and then you're at an event like this and you say to somebody, Hi, I'm Tony. I just had a song on Grey's Anatomy. Oh, that gives you validation. Everybody's looking yep. for that. So it sounds superficial and all that, but it's important. People want to get a feeling that someone's And it used successful. to be they might laugh that you had a song in Grey's yeah, Anatomy. Yeah, not now. Not anymore. Not now. Now they wish they had a song in Grey's Anatomy. That's exactly Anatomy. right. That's exactly I've got to right. say, there are times where the, the um, 
little devilish part of my brain. Mm. You know, we've all got the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other. I heard you had and, a devil on both sides. Is maybe. that wrong? Okay. <laughs> Possibly. I, I, I saw it. But I remember in the early days of taxi, people in the industry say, oh, they're just good at film and TV. Yeah, right, uh, right, right. They literally turned their nose up at us. Yeah. And now some of those very people who said that back then. Are desperate to do it. Well, have, have ended up being A&R people for taxis sitting out oh, in the screening funny. room. Yeah. Oh, that's great. My how things come around. Yeah. Um, Steve McCarl asks, I can't wait to hear your answer for this. I am terrible at recording music, but have hundreds of songs I want to share with the world. How do I get my material out there without spending a lot of money in recording studios or countless hours fighting with my computer and my less than professional recording skills? He's faced with a terrible dilemma. Yes. Yeah. Either you're going to have to get better or you're gonna to have to find someone to work with. And uh, neither is bad, uh, and neither is perfect. It's up to you to, to make it perfect. Um, there's a guy that I met years ago at Taxi that's Catnip Pat. The, at the road rally, Catnip Pat, I remember him, okay. he's a great guy. Great guy, and he asked me various questions about the recording, because they didn't sound good. Yeah. The recordings were not good. And over the years, he got this, he got that, he learned how to do this, he learned how to do that. They're incredible sounding. Wow. It's amazing. I talked to him just before the road rally here, because I've kept in touch with him. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing. I mean, he's into Melodyne, he's into all these things, and everything sounds really good, really good. So his desire was strong enough that it made him willing to put in. Yep, to, to learn. learn. And, and maybe his son helps with stuff. I'm not quite sure, don't quite remember. But the point is, is that yes, this is difficult. The technology allows you to have these songs, but you gotta learn how to, how to handle the technology. You don't have to have, you know, $100,000 worth of equipment. What you have to have is enough equipment that you know how to use, and that you know how to use properly. The Beatles, you know, Beach Boys, they're in the studio, they didn't have any of these things. They didn't have technology. It's they had easier to make it, now than ever. Yeah, they had to, they had to create out of thin air. So uh, uh, just get what you can, but learn how to use it. And I'm sorry, you know, it is the part of it. Or find someone that you are compatible with and you guys understand each other and can create something together. And if you've got stuff that you feel you need to get out there, get it out there the best you can. Even if it's just you sitting playing guitar or playing piano or whatever happens to be, but present it the best that you can. And no excuses. And do a lot of it because with yes, every failure you will get better. Absolutely, absolutely. What, what is it that uh, Edison said when he finally uh, uh, invented a light bulb? He said, uh, oh, they said, you. oh my gosh, you spent so many times failing. He says, nope, I took 500, it took me 500 times to learn how to not make a light bulb, yeah. right? So uh, you got to stick with it and really concentrate on it. It's, it's part of this whole thing. If it were easy and there was a shortcut, everybody would be a hit songwriter, everybody would be yeah. a hit record producer. It's like learning to do graphics on a computer. You can't look. No. I would love to direct a Hollywood blockbuster. But you can't just desire it and, and will it to happen without, you can will it to happen if the will causes you to learn and do right, the work. Right. But you have to learn about CGI, you have to learn about oh, shots, you have right. to learn about pulling the story, best performance yeah. out of an actor, story, right, all that stuff. It, it's a craft. Yep, and, and this is too. Yeah, uh, anything that's a craft 
is learned by constant attempts, constant failures, yeah. and, and um, you know what? You've got the greatest community in the world being your fellow members at Taxi between the forum. We tell our members, I, hang out in the forum, I go said, to the road rally. I said that when they were upstairs at the little theater, someone was looking. At the road rally. Yeah, at the road rally. Someone was looking. Uh, uh, I'm going to make this up now because I'm not sure. <laughs> someone was a lyricist. Right. And they were looking for a music writer. And I said, turn around. Yeah. Look at the guy behind you. Look at the girl in the corner over here. I mean, talk to each other. Don't just think like, oh, no one's going to talk to me. Oh, uh, I need someone big. What are you talking about? What you need is a collaborator. You can become big together. The sum of your parts may be much, much greater than the two of you individually. At a certain point, Lennon and McCartney were nothing. They did cover songs. All of a sudden, they became arguably the biggest pop songwriters in history. So. Uh, you know, you, you can't always think, if I could only meet Bruno Mars, I'd be successful. That's not good thinking. It's not positive thinking. It doesn't help you. Sure, if you meet him and it works out, terrific. If it doesn't, does that mean it's over? Of course not. So what you have to do is you have to find ways for you to get um, yourself expressed better. And that may be a co-writer, that may be a co-producer, that may be any number of different things. And that gets back to what I said earlier about the team. All of this is a team. I never think of this stuff as, oh, my record. I think of it as our record. I have musicians, uh, uh, engineers, songwriters, promotion people, all kinds of different things, artists, of course, all kinds of different things. It's our record. So if you incorporate that thinking a bit into what you're trying to achieve, you may find some companions along the way that become very, very important to you and become team members, and you all work together to help make each other successful. I hope that makes some sense without sounding too preachy, but you know, that's the sense. idea. Uh, look, uh, so many of our most successful taxi members are people that came to the road rally having that very thought that this gentleman asked, mm. and they realized exactly what you said once they hit the ground at the road rally, and even people who are not really that sociable and not good at meeting other people find mm. so much commonality. Yeah, because uh, they, they do what they have so big. They, yeah, yeah. It, it's like family. Absolutely. And, and that's not a cliche at the road rally. And they end up somebody who's strong with recording and production meets right. somebody who's got a great voice and right. great melody and lyrics. Right. And they become a thing. And that's where our six figure members have come from in many cases. I think that, uh, you know, it's, it may be hard to absorb right now in this, you know, an hour we're talking and, and you'd like to hear someone talk to you directly for 10 hours about this. But the fact is, is that simply what Michael is saying and what I'm trying to say is that th this is very important stuff that if you can, if it resonates with you, interpret it the way that it, that it's best for you. But this is what happens with people. This is how they become successful. And, and sure, you could always say that, well, so-and-so did it all on his own. Okay, well, maybe from the surface we see that. Right, that's and, what made it into the media. Yeah, <laughs> but, but the fact is that there were other people involved along the way. So um, think about it. Think about it. Um, let's go back to Whitney Houston, Clive Davis for a minute. You know, it, it's, yeah, people wish they could just meet a Clive Davis who would wave his magic wand to make it all happen. Mm -hmm. But in so many cases, and I can't say this was necessarily the case with Whitney, although she did pay her dues singing in church in mm -hmm. the church choir, but sure. 
uh, in many cases, people that get to meet a Clive Davis, a, a magician, if you will, mm. that can magically make things happen for a career, they had to earn their way. It's Absolutely. Not like they're sitting at home going, no. oh, I wrote one great song, and Clive Davis magically appears at the foot of their bed in the middle of the night and goes, I hear you have a great song. Can I hear, oh, that's amazing. Let me get it so-and-so. Right. There you go. I have bestowed upon you your license to be a hit songwriter. Right. Doesn't work like that. No, it doesn't work like that. Um, you want to take a couple minutes and give a little inspiration, kind of like you do at the road. I didn't sure. prep him for this, so sure. you got to do it off the sure. cuff. How, how, do, how long do we have? Um, like, frankly, a dinner reservation's not till six fifteen, so you got a while. We're at oh, so we're okay. Okay, yeah. so hey. we're going to go eat dinner after this, and um, and Shirelli's going to be late anyway. We yeah, know that. yeah. So it's no big deal. <laughs> Sorry, Rob. So, so, but Sorry, but the important okay. thing is that this is my first time coming out to the taxi offices. Right off there all this time, I've never come out to the taxi offices, and uh, all the way out here, I was thinking about it, and thinking about how important it has been to me over the years, not to just um, meet Michael, Lord knows, but um, the opportunity to meet you. That's been the thing that's been killer for me, and and I say this all the time, and I think that people don't believe it. Anytime I can sit and talk to you guys about this and, and, and hear your dreams and hear your thoughts and hear these questions, right, and try to answer them, and I stress try to answer them because I don't know it all. I'm learning something every day, and I learn from you all. I learn all the time. I used to have a music teacher, a theory harmony music teacher, that had been successful in television and film, you know, not incredibly, but some, and a very talented man, but a great teacher. And I'd see him every week, and um, and he'd play me stuff, and I'd want to hear, I'd want to hear more about the business actually than what he was teaching me for theory and harmony. And I said, "Why do you teach?" And he said, "Well, first of all, I love doing it, and secondly, I learn something every time I talk to somebody and I try to teach him something." I said, "How is that possible?" He said, "Well, I I verbalize things." And I'm telling them things that I believe that would help them. And you know, it resonates back to me and makes more an impression on me as I'm talking about it. Uh, and I said, oh, that's very interesting. And I've never forgotten that. So when I'm talking to somebody that is, you know, um, trying to get started and all that, I love hearing what they have to say. They may say, say something to me that is totally unexpected that I, I'm not thinking about it in that way, and I've learned something. I've learned something about a, a song, a lyric, a sound, who knows what, life. And I think that the, the, the biggest thing that I enjoy in November is going to see the people at Taxi. Um, the biggest thing in my life, as Michael knows, is that I had a health issue that was, you know, unbelievable in November, too. So November's a very special month for me. Not this past November, many years many ago. Many years ago. And I'm very grateful for that, and I'm very grateful to have the opportunity to still be going to taxi. So I encourage you all to, if there's anything I can tell you or, or you can take away from this, is A, believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. If this is something you can only devote two hours a day to because you got a day job or a night job or whatever, a family, responsibilities, fine. You spend whatever quality time you can on this. 
Two, don't let other people tell you you can't do it. That's horrible negative influence that nobody wants that, nobody needs it. It's not true. That's the most important thing. Number three, concentrate on being importantly good. Really work at it. It's important for you to be good, not just the technology. Four, learn everything you can, not just today, but what happened to leading to today. Respect the past, appreciate today, look forward to tomorrow. And five, be grateful for the opportunity that you have to be immersed in music. Music is a communicator that has been for all eternity. It touches people's souls and emotions. Michael and Taxi have given me the chance to talk to you guys. I, counter, I, I consider that a blessing. And it goes along with the music. So appreciate the music, respect the audience, respect what you're doing. And uh, I'll see you in November, God willing, at the Road Rally. Thanks, Michael. Words to live by, and I'm really, really glad that we finally got you out yeah, here man. for the show. Bye, guys. Good awesome to see you. No, I didn't ever. see you. I didn't. I didn't even hear you talk. But it's good <laughs> to hear your questions and and then uh, and see all the things going by on the computer. We will see you guys next week. Okay, get get the applause. Okay, for let's get another the applause exciting going. episode of Taxi TV Live. Oh no, you guys stop. Get applause so much. No, 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 no. Really, really, really. That's too much. Too much. See you guys. Bye-bye.